You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Listen to these statements and be thinking about what kind of statements these are. Less is more. The beginning of the end. The only constant is change. Youth is wasted on the young. All these statements represent a paradox. A paradox is a statement that appears at first to be contradictory, but on reflection makes sense. So when we say less is more, right? That doesn't make sense. It seems to be a contradictory statement. Like that, that less and more don't go together. But when you think about it, it's really true. Less is more. When you think about the beginning of the end, right? Again, beginning and ends, that, that's two separate things. That, that seems like a contradictory statement, but in reality, it does make sense if you're coming to the end. It is the beginning of the end. The psalm that we're looking at today is a psalm of paradox. Martin Luther described it in this way. Hope despairs and yet despairs hopes. Now that seems like a paradox, right? That seems like a statement that doesn't go together. Hope despairs and yet despair hopes. The psalm, this psalm, Psalm 13, helps us as followers of Jesus to grapple with the reality that we can feel despair and at the same time we can have hope. This is the paradox of the Christian life. We live in a broken world where despair or grief or sorrow can come knocking at our door at any minute, at any time, and can come hang out in our homes longer than we desire for them to be there. And in the same broken world and in the same house, the believer can be full of hope. Paul puts words to this paradox when he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Doesn't that seem like a paradoxical statement? As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrow and rejoicing don't go together. Hope and despair don't go together. So how do we live out this paradox of the Christian life? How do we be sorrowful yet always rejoicing? How does hope despair and yet despair hopes? Enter Psalms 13. David helps us put words and actions to being sorrowful, grieving, despairing, and yet always rejoicing, always hoping. 
When you're having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, a bad decade, when your health is failing, when death is knocking on your door, this psalm is one you can turn to to verbalize the angst that you feel in your heart. The genre of this psalm is what is referred to as a lament psalm. In the Psalter, which is all of the psalms put together, the largest group of psalms is the lament psalms. There are more than 60 lament psalms in the Psalter. This includes both individual and corporate laments. In the lament, the psalmist opens his heart honestly to God, a heart often filled with sadness and fear and even anger. These are highly emotional charged songs that the psalmist records for us in desperation for God's deliverance in the midst of personal suffering. If you've ever, if you like listening to music and I said, what is a highly emotionally charged song that you listen to? You could probably go to a song that you heard for the first time. And when you heard that song, you could just feel the angst of the song. I know this is probably gonna be bad for me to say, but I was listening to Justin Bieber one time. (laughs) I know my respect level went down for some people, all right? For others, maybe it went up. But I was listening to Justin Bieber one time and I came across a song that he sang called Lonely. And as I listened to that song, it was highly emotionally charged because the story of the song, and I had to listen to the edited version, the story of the song was a kid who had everything but had nothing. And as you listen to it, you can hear in Justin's voice as he's singing the angst in his soul of a kid who had the world at his hands, but had nobody. He was lonely. This is the psalm we're going into today. It's a psalm of lament. It is the natural response when sorrow and pain comes in our life. We grieve, we mourn, we weep. There's really nothing special about that. It's a common human experience that we lament. So this week on Thursday, when I get a text from my mom to my, my brothers and me, and it says, hey, your dad went to the doctor and my dad's had prostate cancer and he's had some issues lately. And they're like, they're gonna take a biopsy of his bladder because they're concerned there can be cancer and that. I don't get that text and be like, praise the Lord, right? Thank you, Jesus, for dad maybe having cancer again. Like that wasn't my response. My natural response to getting that news on Thursday is to lament. It's sadness. It's fear. It's even anger. This is the psalm we are going to. But here's the difference for the follower of Jesus Christ. We lament, yes, When we get those texts, when we see the brokenness of the world, we lament, but our lament is a directional lament. It is an upward lament to God. This psalm is specifically a lament of the sick or emotionally distraught. We can see this from David's choice of words. 
if you'll remember, and we'll see it when we work through the text, but he uses the word enemy and he doesn't use the plural of the word. If you look, he uses the singular of the word. And what is our singular enemy? Our singular enemy is death. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26 reminds us that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is why we believe this is a psalm where David is an individual lament, but it's a physical health. Like maybe he is on the doorstep of death because he is saying, my enemy will be exalted over me. He, he says in verse four, he says, lest my foes, or, or I'm sorry, verse three, he says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So we think David is maybe having some physical issues here, which you know if you experience physical issues, it often comes with emotional issues as well. My wife was on Facebook this week and we have a mutual friend that was having back issues and she was sharing with me about how this friend was talking about she's never been in such severe pain and being in that such severe pain, she had never experienced the mental battle that that severe pain was bringing. This is Psalms 13. This is the lament that David has. So here's the outline of David's song and a good model for us to follow as we lament. David breaks it down for us really easy. This is the shortest lament psalm in all of the book of Psalms. And David does it for us in this way. David questions God in verses one and two. David prays to God in verses three and four. And David praises God in verses five and six. So how do we biblically lament? This is how we biblically lament. We question God, we pray to God, and we praise God. So let's look at this short six verse Psalm where David models for us what it means to lament, what it means to feel the brokenness of the world, what it means to see hope despair and yet despair hope. Look at verses one and two. David questions God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me. Can you feel the emotional charge of this psalm? Yeah. How long? Four times in two verses, David cries, how long? How long? How long? How long? Right? And you can feel the weight of all that David is going through by these four questions that he asked God and this intensity of how long are we going to live in this broken world? And what I think we see is this downward spiral of lament. David begins by saying, how long will you forget me forever? David first begins to think that God has forgotten him. David feels as in this moment as if the Lord has, has forgotten that David is in a bad spot, that David is, that David is hurting and sick and needs God to intervene. He, he feels like the Lord has forgotten him. 
What I find interesting about us interacting with God in this way is I've never met with somebody who when things are going good, they come and sit down with me and say, you know what? I feel like the Lord has forgotten me. Isn't that true? Like I've never had God bless me financially or or bless me physically. I'm feeling good. And during that week, I'm like, you know, I feel like the Lord has forgotten me. It's always in the weeks that I don't feel good. The weeks that we have an unexpected bill that it's like, Lord, have you forgotten me forever? Isn't that funny how we do this with God? But I, I love that God is patient. You see, we, we forget Isaiah prophesied for us in Isaiah chapter 49 that he says this, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet here's what Jesus said. I, God said, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. Isn't that a great psalm to remind us that God doesn't forget us? But David in this moment feels as if God has forgotten him. This is his downward spiral. Then he says God rejects him in verse, the second part of verse one. How long will you hide your face from me? The idea of hiding his face from David is that he was not blessing David. That this is the idea of God's face shining upon you is that he blesses you. So we we hear Numbers chapter 6 a lot where we say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. The idea of that is that the Lord would bless you. So when David says, how long will you hide your face from me? David is saying, God, you've removed your blessings from me. When I look around my life, not only have you rejected me, But you also, not only have you forgotten me, but you've also rejected me. We forget the blessings of God. We forget that even when we don't feel his face shining down on us, he has been good to us. I think of Ephesians chapter one in verses really three through 14, where we get the spiritual blessings of those who are in Christ. And I think of verse five and six, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with, he, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We have blessings. But sometimes as we're going down this downward spiral of lament, as we're questioning God, we think that God has rejected us. David then moves from an upward focus of despondence and despair to an inward focus. He says, must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Here's what David is saying. One translation puts it this way. How long must I worry and suffer in broad daylight? How long must I worry and suffer in broad daylight? David gets disgusted with the situation and the feeling. He gets tired of the fight, so he begins self-loathing. This is the psalmist turmoil, is, becomes emotional. We grow weary in the mental battle with physical health, right? We grow weary in the mental battle of this world and we yet we forget 2 Corinthians chapter four and verse 16 and 17 when God says, so we do not lose heart 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary, temporary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So David begins by saying, God, you've forgotten me. Then he says, God, you've rejected me. Then he starts self-loathing. He says, I just don't even know if it's worth the fight. And then when David gets to the bottom of this, he says, this shall my enemy be exalted over me. Shall my enemy gloat over me. David at this moment is beginning to throw himself a pity party. He's saying, I guess my enemy is going to win the day and I'm going to die, right? Now, I'm not here to mock David, but I want you to see the downward descent of the questioning of God. He's saying, I guess I'm not worthy to be loved. I guess cancer does get the last word. I guess my life is not worth living. When in reality, we forget Romans 8 and verse 38 and 39 that says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have all spiraled downward to the pit of despair. We have all had moments in our life that we feel as if God has forgotten us we have all have moments in our life where we feel as if God has rejected us. We all have moments where we get tired of the fight and we feel like it just, it, it's never going to end. It is all day. We all have thrown ourselves pity parties. But the key is this. David doesn't stay in the pit of despair. David doesn't stay in the questioning of God. Here's my concern for some of you in the room today. You have spent way too long in the pit of despair. Your questioning of God has become a way of life rather than a pit stop, a long life. That you have just made it, I just despair of life all of the time. And as followers of Jesus Christ, this should not be the case. Yes, we feel the brokenness. Yes, hope does despair. But we don't stay there. And David doesn't stay there. David doesn't leave us in a dark place. Look at verses three and four. David goes from questioning to God to praying to God. Listen to his words, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David gives God three requests. David asks of God three things. He says this, consider me. Here's what David is saying. Look at me. Like a child grabbing a parent's face to look away from their phone and look at them, David is grabbing the face of God and saying, look at me, consider me, pay attention to me. Don't you know that I am despairing? 
Don't you know that I am on the doorstep of death? Pay attention. I love the boldness of Paul, of David, to come to God and to say, consider me, look at me like a child grabs the face of a parent. Then he asked God, second, to answer him. He's saying, God, respond to me. Don't ignore me. Give me an answer. Listen to me, look at me, and now give me an answer. Like a child who repeatedly asks as we're traveling along, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? David is telling God, give me an answer to how long? How long? Answer me. Stop ignoring me. Stop turning up the radio when I ask you, right? Answer my question. How long, oh Lord, is it going to feel like you've forgotten me? How long, oh Lord, is it going to feel like you've rejected me? How long, oh Lord, are are you going to just let me wallow in this self-loathing and self-pity? How long, oh Lord? David says, answer me, respond. Consider me is to look at me. To answer is to respond to him. And then the third request is light up my eyes. Here's what David is doing. He's saying, give me life. David gets specific with God. He's saying to God, heal me. This is why we believe it is some kind of physical illness where David is on the doorstep of death and he just gets real specific and he says, light up my eyes. That is a way to say, let me live. Give me life. Heal my body. In verse four, David gives him the reason for this request. The reason David wanted God to answer these requests was for God's namesake. Look at verse four. He says, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He is saying to God, think about what the enemy is going to say about me. I'm supposed to be your anointed king and you're going to allow me to die. You're going to allow this to happen to me. And my foes are going to rejoice because I'm shaken to the core. This is not good for your namesake, Lord. David is crying out to God and having confidence and boldness to God to say, listen, this is about your name. I want you to look at me. I want you to answer me and I want you to heal me. And it's not about necessarily me. It's about the fact that the enemy is going to think they won the day. This is going to hurt your name and I don't want your name hurt, hurt. I want it to be glorified. I want it to be made much of. I love the confidence that David has in his relationship to God to be this bold with him. Do you realize today that you can have the same confidence to be bold with God? It it seems a little shocking, right, to come to God and say to God, answer me, consider me, light up my eyes, right, just to get to the point. But you have that same, you and I have that same confidence. In Hebrews chapter four and verse 15, says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect that has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, he says, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You have the ability to not live in the pit of despair because you can go to the Father as confidently as David did. In your time of need and say, God, answer me. God, consider me. 
God, light up my eyes. Give, answer this request. Heal my body. Do this, please, Lord, for your name's sake. Do this. David questions God. David prays to God. And last, David praises God. He says in verses five and six, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David transitions from this questioning to prayer to praise. And he says this, I have trusted. The grammar is pointing us to a specific time that David made a conscious decision to trust God. He made a conscious decision to put his hope in God. This is the turning point of where hope despair, hope despairs not and yet it despair hopes, right? This is where that turning point happens when you draw the line in the sand and you say, I'm going to trust God. Yes. Has there been a moment in your life where you've drawn the line in the sand and just said this, I'm going to trust God. As you go through seasons of physical challenges, as you go through seasons of emotional challenges, there must come a moment where you draw the line in your sand and you say, I'm making the conscious decision to trust God. Like I look around me and it may not seem like things are gonna work out the way I thought they would work out, but I am making the conscious decision to trust in the Lord. And maybe there's many in the room today, that's where you're at. That today, Psalms 13 would call out of you this trusting in the Lord. That yes, you've questioned God. Yes, you've praised to God, but you haven't got to that place in your journey where you're saying, I am trusting the Lord. I'm drawing the line in the sand and saying, no matter what happens, I'm trusting the Lord. No matter if cancer wins the day, I'm trusting the Lord. No matter if this physical ailment doesn't go the way that I want it to go, I am trusting the Lord. Amen. This is what lament looks like, is yes, we question God. Yes, we pray to God, but we end with praising God because we've drawn the line in the sand and said, I'm gonna stay on this side of trusting God. And I'm not going to allow the evil one to bring doubts into my heart that God is good. I'm going to trust in God. David draws the line in the sand and says, I have trusted in, and what does he trust in? Two things, your steadfast love. This is God's covenant love. He's, this is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, right? This is not that kind of love. This is a covenant love. This is when a husband vows to love his wife until death do us part. This is the kind of love that David says, I'm trusting in your covenant love. You're gonna see this term, God's steadfast love throughout the Psalms. It's prevalent because this is the thing that David constantly goes back to and says, as I'm trusting the Lord, I'm trusting in his covenant love. 
Even though I can't feel it, I know that he has made a covenant with me and he will be true to his word, that God can be trusted. Then he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. This is not just a salvation in the sense of spending an eternity in heaven with him. This is a salvation in the sense of the whole person. David is saying, I know that God can heal me. I know that if he wants to save me from the brokenness that I'm feeling in my body, he can do that. And my heart will rejoice in his salvation. And then in verse six, he responds with praise by singing. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David says, as I step back and I survey my life, as I come out of the pit of despair and I ascend above the clouds and I see God for who he is, I see that God has dealt bountifully with me, that God has given me more than enough, that God has been good to me. And David says, how did I respond to that? I sang to the Lord. Why do we sing on Sundays? Because God has been so good to us. Even when we come in here and we've had sorrow and we felt despair this week, we can always come back to praising God because he has dealt bountifully with us. He has been so good to us. This psalm is the paradox of the Christian life. We start with how long and we end with God has dealt bountifully with us with me. We start with sorrow and we end with rejoicing. We start with hope despairing and we end with despair hoping. This is the paradox of the Christian life. And how can we live in this paradox? Well, we turn our attention to the ultimate paradox. And the ultimate paradox is this statement, a death that leads to life. Like to read that statement, those things seem to be contradictory, right? Death doesn't lead to life. But in studying that statement, we find it to be true that death does lead to life. God sends his son, Jesus, into the world that he created, the world that we have broken through our sin to rescue us from the brokenness that we created. And Jesus lives a sinless life and yet feels the brokenness of the world, right? Hope despairs as he comes in and feels the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of the world ultimately catches up with Jesus when they hang him on a cross for claiming to be God. They thought they had killed a prophet who'd gone rogue. Yet three days later, Jesus walks out of the grave and his death leads to our life. So how does hope despair and yet despair hopes? Because the grave is empty. Because death led to our life. This is how we read Psalms 13 now and see, all right, all right, one day, the last enemy, death, will be put to death. How do we know that? We look to the empty tomb. And we know that this 
suffering we go through. We know this physical pain that we go to through is light momentary affliction, temporary, right? It's not going to last forever. It's not going to be forever. It's not going to be all day because of the empty tomb. We remember Christ's death and the ultimate paradox that his death led to our life. So how can we lament through questioning and praying and praising all at the same time? We look to Jesus. What's interesting to me as we look to observe communion today is that in Matthew chapter 26, and I want you to turn your Bibles there with me, to Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is about to be arrested and begin his descent to the cross. And we find Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with some of his closest followers. And in this garden of Gethsemane, you see Jesus lamenting. You see Jesus feeling the sadness and the brokenness of the world that he lives in and what he's about to experience, the suffering that he's about to experience. And you see in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36, they go to this garden of Gethsemane and Jesus tells his disciples to sit while he goes and prays. And he takes with him Peter, and James and John and he begins to be sorrowful and troubled. He's, he's lamenting, he's feeling the weight of the world. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. He's feeling, again, this is highly emotionally charged moment, right? It's so highly charged that he's sweating drops of blood because he knows the suffering that is coming. And I want you to listen to his prayer because his prayer has questioning, it's praying, and it's praising. He says this in verse 38, or verse 39, my father... If it be possible, that's the question. Let this cup pass from me. Let the wrath of God, your wrath that you're about to pour on me, let it pass from me. But look at what his prayer is. Not as I will, and then I love his praise, but as you will. What is he saying? I trust in your steadfast love. And so Jesus, in this moment, could read Psalms 13. And see hope despairing and yet despair hoping. And he did it all for us. So I want you to take your communion elements that were on your seat when you came in. And I want you to think about this paradox. That a death has led to your life. This is the hope that we have. This is how we can read Psalms 13 and not stay in the pit of despair, not stay in verses one and two, right? But we can end in verses five and six. And so I wanna take a minute in the quietness of this moment and allow you and allow me to reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross, what he did for us in his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. Let's take a minute and reflect on that. Father, thank you for Psalms 13. Thank you for inspiring David to write for us this emotionally charged psalm 
this emotionally charged lament where he would question you and pray to you and praise you and give us a model as we lament the fact that we live in a broken world where we get cancer, we get colds, we get viruses, we break bones, that life doesn't always go as we planned for it to go. That we can lament that, that we can question you, we can ask things like how long, and we can come and grab your face and say, look at us, respond to us, heal us. But that ultimately we can end with praising you and saying we trust your steadfast love. We trust your salvation. You have been so good to us. Lord, we know that the only way we can respond in a broken world in that way is because of Jesus. Is because Jesus was obedient to you to the point of death on the cross and that he was willing to have his body broken. He was willing to shed his blood so that we could be in right relationship with you, so that we could know that this suffering we experience is only temporary. This is not forever. This is not all of our story. This is not all the story that you have written for our lives. That one day you will make everything right. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can have that hope. We can read and sing and pray and agonize with Psalms 13 because of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we remember your death, as we remember your body that is broken for us and your blood that was shed for us, I pray that it would draw us to a greater confidence, a greater trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.